0: Today, I want to turn your attention
1: uh, to a portion in God's Word in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'm going to read from uh, the verse number 1. 1 Peter 5 and the verse 1, the Word of God says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed. The flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We are, of course, going through tremendous times of great trouble, not only in North America or in Northern Ireland but of course, on a global scale. And many, many people have sought to discern the times and to understand what the Lord is doing in our days. And it's apparent that the Lord, of course, is not doing just one thing. The Lord in his sovereign wisdom does many things in each of his providential acts. God is beyond our understanding and we cannot grasp the ways of the Lord. The secret things belong unto the Lord, and yet I think we can all we can all believe without any doubt that God is humbling us at this time. We've come to see our weakness. I'm sure, we've all been confronted with our mortality, our insecurity. Life is very unstable. Pride is a continual battle in the Christian life. And at the outset of this message, I want to to make it clear that I believe the greatest challenge for the people of God at this time is to practice humility, that as God would humble us providentially, we would not resist His will, but ensure that we take the steps to humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord. I've preached a couple of recent messages that have brought this theme to the forefront of my mind. We looked at Isaiah 57 and the verse 15 and the encouragement that God comes and dwells with his people. He comes and revives his people. But there's a condition in that text, and the condition is that we'd be humble and contrite in heart. We've also studied the Gospel of Luke in recent years. And we've come to Luke chapter 9, and there we find the disciples disputing reasoning with themselves as to who is the greatest And the Lord brings a child and encourages the disciples to look upon the child. And he challenges the disciples, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, make sure you take the least position. Be willing to be a humble servant in the work of God. And so, as we find ourselves confronting such unusual days, this is not a time for the people of God to be proud and arrogant. It is the time for the people of God to be humble and to be contrite in their souls. Pride, of course, takes many forms. J.C. Ryle makes the point helpfully that pride can even take the guise of humility. It's often said by way of a joke, I'm proud to be so humble. Pride is never far from the heart. It is the very root of sinful man, we are more wise than God. We don't need God. We have no need of salvation. There's nothing wrong with us. That's a spirit of pride. Now I take up uh, this subject conscious that I, one, do not know exactly who is watching on. And so I do not know uh, anything of the lives, the conduct, or the atmosphere in the church family there in Market Hill. But I do believe that there is a spirit abroad, a spirit that comes into every church that must always be guarded, and that is the spirit of carnal pride. The battle must be waged. We understand our privilege. We we believe and we would assert on the ground of the word of God that the people of God have been chosen from before the foundation of the world. The chosen are those who have been recipients of God's grace and favor, and that should lead to humility, but it often leads to pride. I'm not like the rest of the world. God has chosen me. And that sense of privilege, well, it can engender pride. We think about our practice. We're not like the world. We, we still, even though our churches are closed, we, we still watch a sermon in some fashion. We still have our Bibles open. We still pray. We are more religious in the world around us, and so not only uh, do we take the privilege, we take our practice, and therefore it might lead to pride in some situations. Pride is a real peril for our souls, especially when you read verse five of First Peter chapter five, where it says, "God resisteth the pride, humility." And the battle against pride must occupy our thoughts in these days if we are to go forward. Because, of course, we need grace. To see the work of God go forward individually and corporately, we need God's grace. And so if we're to see, verse 5, God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble, well, we want that grace. And therefore, it's another reason whereby we must be conscious that we would practice This exhortation, verse number 6, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And so I want to begin looking at this subject of the need for humility by considering the exhortation to humility. Now that's found in two separate uh, clauses in this passage. 1 Peter 5, verse number 5, be clothed with humility. And then verse number six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Be clothed. Now, that is, that is not suggesting that we should put on some pretense. You know, the actor on the stage or on the television, they may put on a garb, they may put on clothing, and thus by putting on clothing, they will put on a pretense of being something that they are not. No, that's not the sense here. The word that is used for clothing here is used nowhere else in our New Testament. And it has as its root meaning the sense of taking on the servant's garment. Putting on the apron of the servant. You think of Christ. He is, of course, the preeminent example of humility in the Word of God. In Philippians chapter 2, the Word of God asserts Christ's equality with the Father. We see his eternality, and yet in his incarnation, Christ, he takes the form of the servant. He puts on the servant garb. Now, this idea of being clothed is used elsewhere by Paul uh, with regards to the matter of our sanctification. It's used in Colossians chapter 3, in the verse number 12, for the Word of God says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. In verse 10 of Colossians 3, the text is that we're to put on the new man. We're to put on Christ-likeness. And this is the realm of our sanctification. Those who have been saved by God's grace, born again of the Spirit, they are to continually, daily put on these graces. Now, humility is, of course, a work of the Spirit. Pride is natural. Humility is spiritual. And therefore, we understand and we we must assert that this humility will only come about by the grace of God. But the text here in 1 Peter 5 and also Colossians chapter 3 indicates that this is a Christian duty. Put on humbleness of mind, says Paul in Colossians chapter 3. Peter says here, Be clothed with humility. Humble yourselves, therefore. We are responsible to humble ourselves or responsible to ensure that we put pride to death and put on the garments of humility. It is a humbleness of mind. That's a term that Paul uses in Colossians chapter 3. Now, this duty, of course, is not natural. We need the Spirit of God to work on our souls. But I think it's interesting that when you look at the subject of humility in the New Testament, you see that the matter of the mind comes to the fore. Colossians 3, humbleness of mind. Also, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and the verse number 3 is the verse prior to the section regarding Christ's humility. He, of course, who is the example of this humility. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, "...let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each just seem other better than themselves." Humility, humbleness of mind, lowliness of mind. And so what I think we see in the Word of God in these verses is that if our thinking is right, then our hearts will be right. It is the proper application of the Word of God that we must then use to put on this humility. We've got to be diligent in understanding Christian doctrine. And in rightly understanding the Word of God, we will then practice this Christian duty of humbling ourselves. You think of some of the areas of Christian doctrine. You think of theology proper, the study of God. When you study God, you see one who is the Creator. You see one who is transcendent, one who is holy, holy, holy. One before whom the the very angels cover their faces. You study the doctrine of anthropology The doctrine of man, and when you study the Bible regarding what it teaches of man, it shows that men, they are depraved in the core of their being. They sin because they are sinners. They sin in practice, but they also have a sinful record in virtue of them being the children of Adam. The doctrine of man never leads to pride, but to abject humility. We're nothing in God's sight. We deserve nothing but God's wrath and condemnation. You take the doctrine of salvation. How is a sinner saved? They're saved because God set his love upon them from all eternity. Unconditionally, before they'd done either good or bad, God chose to love them from the foundation of the world. God then freely, sovereignly enters into covenant. I will be their God. That doctrine applied in the coming of Christ as he accomplishes salvation, not our works, but his works. That doctrine that is then applied in our souls, that we are saved by faith alone, not by works, not by our merit, but by Christ alone. And so when you study the doctrine of the word of God, all of those doctrines properly understood must never lead to pride, but to humility. And so if we are to clothe ourselves in humility, if we're to humble ourselves, it does involve us getting into the Word. It involves us studying what the Bible says, what God says regarding Himself and ourselves and the free gift of God in salvation. So let me just pause and ask you all, are you diligent in studying the Word of God, in developing in your knowledge of truth, it's only when we do that, that we will then daily, day by day, put on this grace of humility. So that's something of the exhortation. It comes in a form of a command, be clothed with humility. But there is, in the second place, Uh, there are encouragements to Humility. Now, you will note in verse number 6, it says, Humble yourselves therefore. Now, the therefore, it causes us as a reader to go back to the previous context, and in particular, the previous verse. And there it says, God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore. Here we find two particular encouragements. You have the negative encouragement. To be humble with the truth that God resisteth the pride. This word has the sense of opposition. It's used of those who oppose themselves to Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 18. It's used of those who oppose uh, the civil authorities in Romans chapter 13. And so the word resist here it speaks of opposition. In other words, God hinders the pride. And so what you see here is that God does not tolerate pride, but rather places hindrances and obstacles in the way of the pride. God hates the pride. Look, the pride he knoweth afar off. You think of all the various references in the book of Proverbs. Always we see a number of references in Proverbs regarding the, the end of the pride. I think of Proverbs chapter 16. And the verse number 18: Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. God resists the pride. That is an encouragement that we would guard ourselves from ever becoming proud in the sight of God. There's also, though, the encouragement of provision. And Not only the sense of God's resistance of the proud, but God's provision to the humble. Verse 5 again, God giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore. This is an encouragement. Deliberately, we are being encouraged that God is pleased to give provisions to those that are humble. That is, that is not a negative thing. It is right and proper for the Lord to show us, to incentivize us in our obedience. That is gracious in God's part. The promise is given. Now, grace in the Bible is used in, in various ways. It's used of God's disposition to save. By grace are we saved. It's used of the gospel itself. The gospel is the grace of God. But the grace that is used here is the grace that speaks of something that God gives to the redeemed. God's provision. Oh, well, we stand in need of grace. We need God's grace in our lives. We need God's grace to live for God. In the, in the simple form of, of how we live in this world, we need God's grace each and every day. Uh, I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and the verse number 12. The rejoicing that Paul had is that by the grace of God, we had our conversation in the world. In other words, their their living in the world was only by the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God that we are what we are. We need this grace. Oh, these are challenging days. How are we going to walk with God in a fallen world when there's so much suffering and difficulty? We're only going to walk with God by the grace of God. And so we rise every morning and we feel the conscious awareness. I need God's grace today. Therefore, I must humble myself and claim the promise that God gives grace to the humble. I think about God's provision in our labors, in our work for Him. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, Given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? Every service we do for the Lord is only by the strength and the grace of God. Our service for Christ is not in our own strength, it's not out of our own resources. Our service for Christ is only performed by the strengthening grace of God. Do you want to serve God today? Do you want to serve Christ at this time? Do you want to make Christ known? This is not just for ministers and elders and missionaries. This is for all of God's people. We want to serve. We want to serve the Lord. We want to make him known. We need grace. Therefore, humble yourselves. Claim the promise that God gives grace to the humble. I think about the provision we need in our low points, in our troubles and cares. And it's significant that these verses in 1 Peter chapter 5, they flow from the need to humble ourselves To them the encouragement to cast our cares upon the Lord. Humble yourselves therefore, verse 6, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We, if we are to cast our cares upon the Lord, we must only do that when we humble ourselves. Note the command in 1 Peter 5, is not to cast, it does not say, cast all your care. It says, humble yourselves, casting all your care. And so the encouragement is that in our cares, in our anxieties, in our troubles, there is grace to help in time of need. Paul himself experienced that. He he had this thorn in the flesh. You can read about it in Second Corinthians chapter 12. And in that chapter, you read about Paul's thorn in the flesh, how he sought the Lord that it might be removed. But the Lord speaks to him, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God's grace in our low points. God's grace in our labors, yea, God's grace in our Christian lives. We need God's grace. And so we're being encouraged here. How great is our need of this grace? And thus, how great is our need that we humble ourselves? When's the last time we deliberately determined to think through the Word of God with the outcome that we'd humble ourselves in the presence of God in our devotional lives, Do we just go to the Word of God, read a few verses, say a few prayers? But have we this concentrative focus that as we come to the Word of God, we see the greatness of God, we see the grace of God, and we see the profound sense of our need? And so in humility we come and we say, Lord, you resist the pride, but you give grace to the humble. I humble myself in your presence. And so you have the exhortation to humility. You have the encouragement to humility. And very quickly, as I draw this to a close, you have the evidence of humility. Let me point out three. Humility is evidence in our submission. Verse number five. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Society today, I believe, is being more and more marked by a rampant individualism. The right of the individual trumps everything else. We can say what we please, do as we please, because we have these so called rights. The Word of God challenges such an unqualified mindset. There are, of course, rights. There are things that God has given us as rights in His grace, as those made in His image. But my Bible tells me to love my neighbor as I love myself. My Bible tells me that we are to look upon the interests of others, not our own interests. And so if we be humble before God, it will be seen in this subjection of our own rights, even to the needs and the benefits of others. That's going to be a tremendous challenge. But it's what's taught in the Word of God that we would not live our church lives seeking to promote our own agendas, but rather we'd live our church life seeking to promote the good of the whole. But we're a body. We have one head, and we are one body under that one head, namely Christ Jesus. It's also shown in our service. It's significant, again, that the elders are exhorted in the opening verses that they are not to be lords over God's heritage. A proud dictatorial spirit in an eldership is an evidence of pride and not humility. They are to be in to the flock, leading in the sphere of humility, caring for the flock, sacrificing themselves for the benefit of the sheep. But this humility is also, of course, seen particularly in our supplication. I've already shown you the connection down through these verses, that we're to humble ourselves, casting all our care upon him. Prayerlessness is pride. Prayerlessness says that God cannot help my problems, or carelessness says that I don't need God to help my problems. Whatever the case may be, it is when we humble ourselves that we are going to find ourselves in on our knees in the place of prayer. Let's guard, guard our hearts from the pride that would lead to such a prayerless spirit in our churches. We praise the Lord. He is gracious. I'm so thankful the Lord pardons our sins through the blood of Christ. I'm conscious of my own spirit of pride that is always present within our souls. We need to deal with that at all times. But I'm thankful the blood of Christ cleanses from all sins, including pride. And so as I close, let me encourage you, if you're unsaved, you are by definition a proud soul. You said you don't need Christ. You don't need the cleansing of the blood. You're just fine as you are. You are in your heart. You're a proud person. May God give you a tender heart that you be humble before him today and you come to Christ. Come to him who is meek. Come to him who is gentle. Come to him who humbled himself to die upon a cross to save a sinner like you.